1: or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: I'm Lori Gottlieb. I'm the author of Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, and I write the Dear Therapist Advice column for The Atlantic.
3: And I'm Guy Winch. I'm the author of Emotional First Aid, and I write the Dear Guy Advice column for TED. And this is Dear Therapists.
2: Each week, we invite you into a real session where we help people confront the problems in their lives and then give them actionable advice and have them report back to let us know what happened when they did what we suggested.
3: So sit back and welcome to today's session. This week, a woman who wants to have a better relationship with her angry older sister wonders if that's possible.
4: I feel so attacked by her and Her emails, just she's made it clear, my vision and my view of the past is the right one and the correct one, and yours is
2: not. First, a quick note. Dear Therapist is for informational purposes only. It does not constitute medical or psychological advice and is not a substitute for professional healthcare advice, diagnosis, or treatment. By submitting a letter, you are agreeing to let iHeartMedia use it in part or in full, and we may edit it for length and clarity. In the sessions you'll hear, all names have been changed for the privacy of our guests. Hey, Guy.
3: Hi, Lori. What do we have in our mailbox today?
2: Today, we have a letter from a woman who has some conflict with her sister and is really at a loss as to what to do. And it goes like this. Dear Therapist, I'm 53 and I have a sister two years older. My parents had an unhappy marriage and divorced in the early 90s and both happily remarried. It was pretty difficult growing up. Lots of arguments between them and yelling and fighting. My sister and I were close and got along well growing up, but we drifted apart once she went to college. She tried for many years to have a baby and she suffered multiple miscarriages. She has a boyfriend of about 15 years, but they're not married. She also had a very good job as an associate professor, but she didn't get tenure and she never worked again. That was about 15 years ago. She lives off her boyfriend and off of money that my mom gives her each month. About 10 years ago, our relationship took a nosedive. I got pregnant by my boyfriend at the time, and I now have a nine-year-old son. I'm not married, and I don't have a current boyfriend, but I do have a great job, a wonderful son, many friends, and financial stability. My sister, Natalia, got very angry when she found out I was pregnant. I didn't tell her right away, and she's still very angry that I didn't tell her. My dad and mom were the ones who told me to wait and not tell her until I was further along, but once she found out, all hell broke loose. My dad got very angry with me, and he stopped talking to me. He was already in very poor health, and he died three months later while I was still pregnant. I never got the chance to have a real goodbye with him, and I feel that my sister really drove a wedge between us. I've forgiven her, but this past Christmas, she asked me if a present for my son had arrived. I responded that yes, it had, and thanked her for the gift. She then attacked me for not asking her about the weather where she lives because there was a bad storm there. I responded that I don't keep up with the weather, and I hoped she was okay, but that her email was very hurtful. It's now nearly a month later, and she has been sending me nonstop angry emails. She is bringing up so many things from the past, saying she gave up her childhood for me. She's telling me I need to see a therapist, calling me a bully, and a bunch of other horrible things. I've tried my best to tell her I love her, but would appreciate it if she can speak to me respectfully. She ignores me and doubles down on her anger. To be honest, if she were not my sister, I would not have anything to do with her. She also attacks my mom, who is 85, so I know it's not just me. Neither of us has seen Natalia for about 11 years. She lives in seclusion with her dog and her boyfriend. I see she is in a lot of pain, but I don't like being called names and put down and screamed at an email. I need your help on what to do next. Elise.
3: This is one of those letters where I'm much more oriented towards what's missing in the letter than towards what's there. What's there is that tumultuous relationship with sister, something went wrong. But what's not there is she thought they were very close growing up and her sister said, you stole my childhood. And a lot of contradictions and different perspectives are coming through here with the sister, with the parents, people are seeing things in different ways. And so for me, I really have a lot of questions. So we can start to get a sense of what the story actually is because it's clear that she has a much different perspective than her sister does.
2: Yeah, and I don't think this is just a story about the two sisters. I think this is a story about the entire family and the dynamics. That went on and maybe continued to go on between them. I really noted in her letter when she said, my sister hasn't seen my mom, my mom, not our mom in 11 years. And the fact that Natalia hasn't seen either of them in 11 years is very curious, especially because the mom is still giving Natalia money every month. So there's some kind of transaction going on there, but there's a lot more that we need to understand about what is going on. And I think that what you said, Guy, about lots of people have different perspectives on what's going on is going to be key to how we can help Elise. So let's go talk to Elise and learn more about this family. You're listening to Dear Therapist from iHeartRadio. We'll be back after a short break.
5: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P Dear Therapists.
0: Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals, or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. I'm Lori Gottlieb.
3: And I'm Guy Winch. And this is Dear Therapists.
4: Hi, Elise.
3: Welcome to the show.
4: Thank you so much. I'm so
2: happy to be here with both of you. Well, thanks for coming on. We wanted to start by understanding what was going on in your childhood. Tell us a little bit about what things were like in your house growing up, what things were like between your parents, and what your relationship and your sister's relationship was like with each of your parents and with each other.
4: Sure. So we grew up in, I think, a pretty nice house. Both my parents worked. They didn't get along. My mother was sort of the breadwinner of the family, so she was gone a lot of the time at the office working, whereas my dad was home much more often. And I think he ended up being more of the, the emotional support for both me and my sister. I think both my sister and I were a little bit afraid of my mom. She would come home and we'd scurry around and try and make sure everything was clean. Uh, the lights were on, the table was set, things like that. What would happen if things weren't the way she wanted them? She would get very upset, And my dad would sort of try and protect us. And then she would just express her disappointment and maybe go off to her office until things were fixed.
3: Express it in what way?
4: Raising her voice, being very angry. And then my dad would raise his voice in turn. I think my sister and I would run off to our bedrooms and wait until it was safe to come out again. Together or separately? Separately. So my sister and I had separate rooms. My mom slept in one part of the house. My dad slept in a different part of the house. I I never saw my parents sleep in the same room. They weren't very affectionate with each other.
2: When your parents would fight or when your mother would get angry with the two of you, did you and your sister ever support each other or talk about what was going on? I think sometimes we would
4: talk about it. I remember when we were maybe 10 and 12, we brought this to the attention of my parents. We said it didn't seem like they were getting along and there was a lot of arguing and we were upset and we suggested they go into counseling and they didn't go. I think they tried to patch things up a little bit between themselves, but it just felt like four separate people within the family. When my sister went off to college, that's when sort of the crack between us grew larger.
3: Tell us about some of the good times with her. Would you hang out together? Would you play together when you were younger? Would you have common friends? Would you share things with one another?
4: I guess my sister was much more of the introvert and she would sort of sit in her room and read. So she wouldn't really, wasn't as interested in playing directly with me. She's very good at drawing. So she drew some pictures of my animals. we did go on some really nice trips with my parents. And
2: I remember those being fairly enjoyable. When you say that you and your sister were close and then when Guy asked you, well, what did you do together? I'm mm-hmm. not hearing where the closeness was. Can you tell me what the closeness felt like to you or how you saw the closeness?
4: She's a very good cook and baker as well. So she'd go into the kitchen and, and cook some things and bake them and then bring out and I'd eat them. Um She got her driver's license before I did, so she would drive me to some places and we'd talk in the car and share music together. Sometimes she'd help me with my homework.
3: So from your end, she was a pretty decent older sister.
4: Oh yeah, I think
3: so. When she says you stole my childhood, can you help us understand to what she might be referring?
4: Yeah, so in these email exchanges that went on around Christmas time, She did say that. I think she feels like she was protecting me from the arguing going on between my parents. As she said in some of her emails that she sacrificed everything for me so that I could have
3: a normal childhood. What did she sacrifice? That's what we're not clear about.
4: Yeah, I I don't know. I tried to find out in the emails a little bit, but she kept like going back to just being very, very angry, you know, in all caps that she felt like I'd stolen something for her. She'd given everything to me. And I felt like I didn't ask you to give up your childhood. And I wish you would have told me back then or sooner. I mean, I'm in my fifties now and this all happened four decades ago. You said
2: what you're saying to us now to her. No, I didn't. What's curious to me is that you said she sent these long emails. Mm -hmm. There must've been a lot of content in the emails. Yes. And yet you're still unclear about what it is that she sacrificed or how she felt she had to sacrifice something to protect you. It doesn't really matter that it happened so long ago. The point is the feelings are still there, but the two of you are not really able to talk about this. It sounds like it was kind of lonely. It wasn't a real connected family even when you went to your parents and said, hey, this conflict is really affecting all of us, please go to therapy, they chose not to. I'm just curious how they reacted in the moment to their daughters saying, this family needs help, you need help. I think they said, thanks for letting us know.
4: We'll think about it. Mm -hmm. My dad was quite faithful in terms of like his his religious beliefs, he was actually a a priest at one point. So I think he was very much like I am married for life, whereas my mother was more like, you know, so focused on her. It was always about her work. When you said your father was more emotionally available, what kinds of things did you talk to him about? I went to like the, a private Catholic school, and, and the girls were just very unkind. So I talked to him about that, and you know, my dad would make an effort to talk to the teachers and the principal. He would come in sometimes. He was very good at origami and he would do show and tell for the class. He also helped me with my homework and my writing. In fact, one of my application essays for college asked which person I most admired and had influenced me the most. And I picked my dad and my mom cried and I had to pick another topic for my essay because it just so upset her to hear that from me at that point. My dad, I remember coming to my room and saying, I'm so sorry, but you're going to have to pick something
2: else. What was that like for you when he said that? Oh, I cried as well.
4: It's like, but I want to write about you. You've meant so much to me. You know, He died 10 years ago and I still miss him very much. And it was a horrible ending when he passed away. And that's when a lot of the conflict with my sister really came up.
3: Do you happen to know what Natalia's experience was?
2: Did she have the same relationship with your dad that you did? So my dad and she, Lori, were very close.
4: And you know what? My mom told me at one point that my dad favored my sister. They were just super bonded. I could tell that my dad really sort of preferred my sister. I think my dad loved me as well, but there was something between them that was very special.
3: You could tell that as a kid? Yes. And how did that feel?
4: (laughs) It hurt. And it hurts even now trying to think about that and what that was like, knowing that the person like I really loved still likes somebody else. And, you know, it happened later on with the disagreement that we had that he would take her side and not mine and not defend me and not protect me or at least be fair.
2: Did you and Natalia ever talk about the fact that there seemed to be some favoritism going on with your dad? I didn't bring it up. I don't remember having any talks with her about that. So who did you talk to about that? Because it sounds like your mom was not that emotionally available. I don't think I talked to anyone about it, but at the time back then, it
4: was more focused on my studies and I was involved in swim team, doing homework. I don't think I was thinking about what was going on with my parents and my sister. I was more in the moment.
2: Even though you weren't, consciously thinking about it. These are the kinds of things that we internalize. These are very important experiences of exactly how you put it. This person that I love, loves someone else more. That can be very painful and it can also inform relationships later on, not just with the person who was favored, but your friendships, your romantic relationships, how you feel about yourself. Have you thought about any of that as an adult? Yes, I have more so now that I've
4: grown up. Mm-hmm. It's really painful to think about. And I try not in- to dwell on it. I'm in focus more like on the present and put more of a rosy, positive, optimistic look at my past and try and think about what happened then and how that shapes me today. It's just very traumatizing. I think, you know, even talking about it now uh, is just very painful.
2: It sounds like. Natalia is someone who really wants to talk about the past and you're someone who, as you said, wants to have this more kind of rosy view of it and leave it in the past.
4: I'm open to talking about it with her. It's just, I feel so attacked by her and her emails that just, she's made it clear my vision and my view of the past is the right one and the correct one. And yours is not.
2: Another way to think of her emails is not my way is the right way to think of the past. But you are so invested, Elise, in this rosy view that you won't allow any of my perspective in. That might be what she's saying in her emails in a very, very upsetting way that feels incredibly aggressive. Correct. I'd like to go back to what you said about when she went off to college,
4: mm-hmm.
2: that you started to drift apart. And then you talked about how 10 years ago things started to really go downhill. Can you take us through sort of those inflection points?
4: So she left for college back in the day, there was no email. So we wrote letters. We'd come back and reconnect at Thanksgiving and Christmas, spring break, and then we had the summer together.
3: And how close were things between you? Did you transition from big sister, little sister to friendship at any point?
4: I still see her as my big sister guy, friends, but she's always been my big sister. And um, when she came out to the university, I had a really bad breakup and she flew out and comforted me, Mm. which was great. Um, She was studying overseas and I went to go visit her as well. Our family traveled a lot as well. So, you know, we spent uh, a year in Berlin, a year in Vienna together, which at least I remember fondly.
3: How much would she be able to be vulnerable with you? Because you said she's my big sister and I still think of her that way, which puts her in a semi-parental role. And I'm curious about whether she was able to lower that guard and be vulnerable with you, whether you ever were able to be there for her when she needed, was she open to that or inviting that or wanting that?
4: It's a a great question, Guy. I think my sister is a very private person and I'm definitely the more outgoing and open one, but uh, I was open to listening to her and talking to her. She just doesn't share a lot of her feelings. So like in these emails that came out over Christmas, just
2: all of these accusations and things about me not being there not listening to her. When you would spend extended time periods together, when you were abroad, did you fight? Did you argue?
4: I don't remember fighting, to be honest. Did you fight as kids? Yeah, we, I think when we were when we were younger. I remember one incident. There were a bunch of uh, root beer popsicles in the freezer, and I ate nearly the whole box, and as a result, got very sick. But she was very angry that I ate them all. <laughs> mm-hmm. But otherwise, I don't think we argued a lot about things just because she was off doing her thing and I was off doing my thing. So you didn't really get angry with her and she didn't
2: really get angry with you?
4: No, not that I remember.
2: Typically, siblings argue a lot, even siblings who are really, really close. And that's part of how they become close, that there's Mm -hmm. a rupture and then there's a repair and then they trust each other. Oh, we're having this conflict, but we can get through it because we always get through it. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that as siblings, you didn't really get angry with each other, which is sort of part of the growing up process together. Not that you were, should be fighting constantly, but it's just notable that you can't really remember getting angry at one another except for the root beer popsicle incident. Once she broke my Madonna
4: record, I was upset about that. But I guess I just just like for me as a person, maybe Lori, I just sort of tend to more think about the positives and not try and dwell
2: on what I was mad about and what I was angry about. She did get angry with you a couple of times about the popsicles, about the Madonna record. So she's able to say, I'm upset about this. And this dynamic persists today where she's saying, I'm upset about this. And you say, I just want to look at the positives. (laughs) Right, right.
3: What was the first time that you got a whiff of the fact that her entire experience of her relationship with you was very, very different than yours. When was the first time that she started to really show you, I have a lot of feelings that I haven't been talking about. Here they come. When did that start?
4: Now that you mentioned that we were on a train, on a trip, and I remember my sister saying, you know, Elise, dad has always been an alcoholic. And that was back when we were in our twenties.
3: And what was your reaction to that? Was that news to you?
4: I was shocked, but then I started putting the little dots together and remembering how there was always a lot of beer in the refrigerator and then there wasn't. And then there were empty alcohol bottles and the garbage can. But I just wasn't really thinking about that.
3: Why was she saying that to you at that time?
4: I think she's trying to shock me into saying, you know, things aren't what you think they are. Your memory is not what you think it was.
3: So that's the issue. What's coming across, certainly from the stuff that you're telling us about today, but really all along that she was feeling that I'm living in a different reality, in part in her head, because I'm the older sister slash co-parent, so I have to be aware of everything that's going on. I can't have my head in the sand or have this idealized version of things or ignore things because I have to be the big sister in a way. It's almost like she assumed this burden And now she's very angry at you for having it. But obviously it wasn't one that you offered her that she'd, which one she took, but she started even in your twenties sharing, I have a very different perspective on life and our experiences than you. Yours are quite rosy and idealized, here's mine. Did that make you curious to ask more and find out more from her?
5: Yes,
4: I did start asking more questions, asking how could you say something like that? she said remember saying you know our childhood was really miserable at least i don't know where you're coming up with all these visions and ideas that it was anything other than miserable and i would come back with but i don't think it was that way we look at all these trips we've been on and we've done all these great things together and our parents were doing their best and she probably thinks that was delusional
3: were you clear that what she was saying is our childhood was miserable for me, Elise.
4: I think, you know, Guy, at that time, I didn't validate her enough. I was more into what was my reaction and trying to defend our childhood rather than being in that moment with her and saying, tell me more. Right. And, you know, which now I could do a bit better, but back then I was still just in my 20s. And I think dealing
2: with the shock of that. What do you mean by shock of it? Because you were aware of some of these things too. Right. I guess shock that somebody would point it out. Somebody's going to point out the elephant in the room. There's often one person in the family. They're known as the identified patient. We call them the IP. And they're the ones who say, hey, wait a minute. Something's not right here. And everyone says, oh, no, no, no. Look at all the trips we've been on. Look at our parents doing their best. Look at all the opportunities that we have had. We have a roof over our head and food on the table and hardworking parents. And so that person becomes the crazy person, the person who brings this up and says, well, wait a minute, dad was an alcoholic and mom was working all the time and our parents fought every day and it was a living hell for me. And I think that that has persisted. You dealt with the hurt and the pain by denying it. Oh, I don't want to look at that. And she Mm -hmm. dealt with it by saying, I'm going to kind of go off and do my thing, but I'm also going to be a truth teller at some point. And when she tries to do that, the family ignores her. I think that's correct, Lori. I think she does feel deeply ignored. I mean,
4: she doesn't talk to me. She doesn't talk to my mom. She didn't really talk to my dad while he was still alive. I think she buries a lot of this deep inside of her. And then when it comes up, I guess she just lashes out because it's so much for her.
3: I think that part of her perspective might be today, you were able to be in denial and have a quote-unquote good childhood because of me, because I was on the watchtower, because I was looking after you, the bread that I made for you and those kinds of things. There were things I did to distract you from what was going on in the house. I didn't point out when dad was getting tipsy or drunk. She went to her room to escape the misery and you didn't have to because you didn't see it. And I think her experience is she's the one that enable that for you and you didn't realize it, but that's part of her anger today. Like it was me that allowed you to have the denial and a much better childhood. And I'm the one that had to deal with all the actual real problems that were around.
4: I think that's quite insightful. That's probably exactly how she feels.
3: And what she's really looking for is the validation from you of, oh, yes, I can see that your experience would have been very, very different than mine if that's the case. But what I think tends to happen is that you will say like, oh, but that just wasn't my experience. I just don't see that. And she experiences that as you invalidating her experience rather than just trying to process your own. And I think that's part of where the ruptures happen between the two of you.
4: I think that's true. I think she desperately wants to be heard and I tried my best at least to try and listen but I also want to make sure I'm heard but I don't think she's ready for to hear anything that I have to say because she really wants me to hear what she has to say and validate her experience.
3: Right. It's the validating she needs. Listening is great, but the other person doesn't know that you've listened until you accurately validate. And if you listen, but forget the validation step, which by the way, a lot of people do, you might feel like I totally got it, except the other person doesn't know it.
2: Okay. Validating doesn't mean that you had the same experience she had. So I think that you feel like, well, I need to explain to her that my experience was different or I don't agree with that. You're nodding. So I can see that that is what happens between the two of you, as opposed to being able to say, I'm validating that this was her experience and I'm not going to fight with her about her feelings. Her feelings are untouchable. You can't tell someone you don't feel that way. You might have felt differently, so you don't have to say, and, Natalia, I felt the same way because you didn't. And that's where you get stuck. I think that you feel that by validating her, you're saying, and I also had a miserable childhood, when you don't feel that you did. And so you feel stuck between, I want to validate her, but I also had a different experience. And there's a way to do that where you can really listen and learn more about her and get closer to her by acknowledging that her experience was real. It truly was. It was different from yours. No two siblings grow up in the same house with the same parents. And what I mean by that is just because you have the same parents and you're in the same house, you're going to react differently to those same parents. You two had different childhoods in the same house as most siblings do. Sometimes both siblings have a wonderful childhood with the same parents, even though it's still a different childhood Mm
0: -hmm. in the same
2: house. You two had these different roles. Your parents were fighting all the time. That's very unsettling for kids to see that the people who are supposed to be stable and calm and in charge and regulated are dysregulated most of the time. So when she comes to you and says, this was my experience, and you say, oh, no, she increases the volume. When Mm -hmm. we're not heard, we think it's not true, but we think that if we get louder, someone will hear us. But that just makes people tune you out because then you're not going to hear anything that she says because all you can hear is the kind of anger and aggression, and that makes you want to turn down the volume. So you actually right. can't hear her better. And so this right. dynamic just keeps repeating. She gets louder, you invalidate, she gets even louder, you invalidate more, and now you're just in two different places completely.
4: Yeah, and I wouldn't say I was invalidating her. I remember saying, you know, I understand that you, you feel you went through all these things. You know, at the same time, I see things differently. But do you see how quickly you get to,
2: I see things differently? So, yes, you went through this. And by the way, let me tell you my version again. My version was we had a happy childhood. So it goes very quickly from, yes, I'm willing to listen to your experience too, but let me tell you about mine. Let me just reiterate that I had a happy childhood in that house. Do you see how that itself can feel invalidating? Because she hasn't been given some time for you to really take in what she's saying and for her to know that you took it in.
3: Okay. And I think part of the problem for you, Elise, is that you still see her as a big sister, Mm -hmm. and therefore as somebody who doesn't need as much from you as she actually does need. Because it's not just the validation that she wants of her experience. She also wants the validation that in her Mm -hmm. own head, A lot of her experience was there because I couldn't escape the way you did because I had to look out for you. I had to be protective of you. And you don't seem to appreciate, Elise, how much I sacrificed of my own happiness to allow you to have the denial and how much that role took out of me and I didn't feel appreciated for it. For example, in your letter you mentioned that she was upset that she wrote to you asking if your son received her Christmas present. And I think that her experience is that was a big gesture on my part to send Christmas presents to your son because I'm still very much hurting from all the miscarriages and the fact that I don't have a child and you do. So it's actually difficult for me to be supportive and to do these things. And so, yes, I really need the acknowledgement because I am again going out of my way and putting myself in emotional discomfort for you in her head. Does that make sense?
4: That makes sense, though. And I think knowing now and what's happened is she's just still very much grieving that the fact that she couldn't have a child. And I mean, I knew once that she had one miscarriage, but in the emails that we exchanged over Christmas, she said I had multiple miscarriages. And it's like, I I didn't know you never shared that with me. And I am so sorry. But if you don't tell me, how would I know? And we haven't talked on the phone. She called me once for my 50th birthday. It was very short, but otherwise we only do email. I haven't heard her voice
2: My mother also hasn't seen her in 13 years. How did that pattern get established where you wouldn't see each other or talk voice to voice? It
4: happened when my father died. He died about 10 years ago while I was pregnant. My sister came out uh, first to take care of him for a little bit uh, and then came, stayed for the, the funeral. But that's really when the rift happened was when I was pregnant and all of this anger, I think, came out. And in the emails that came out, she was very angry that she was the one who had to take care of my dad and not me. And in another email that she had to be the executor of the estate and sort through things, even though I was named the executor, she was very angry about that, that I hadn't stepped up to do that. Why do you think
2: that you were not sharing those responsibilities with her?
4: I got pregnant in August. I was in my 40s at the time. So It was a miracle at all that I got pregnant. I wanted to wait to see if uh, I passed all the tests and I was actually going to have a pregnancy and, and not miscarry. But I also, my dad and my mother told me, do not tell your sister because this will destroy her if she finds out that you got pregnant with your boyfriend, whereas she's been trying for years. And I said, okay, I'll wait. But my sister found out from my aunt and was so angry with me that I didn't tell her. And she's still angry to this day. You could tell from the emails, so angry that I didn't share with her that I was pregnant she had to find out for my aunt. Did you explain why you hadn't told her? I did. I said, mom and dad said, don't tell you anything until I was a little bit further along. I had wanted to, but I didn't. I'm really sorry. Knowing now I, I would have shared the news with you. I just was following instructions. How did she react to your explanation? doesn't matter. You should have known better.
3: If your parents hadn't said something, what would you have done?
4: I'm a very open person. So I was, I would- want. So she was right
3: that you did know better, but you just went on based what your parents were saying.
4: That's right. They both said, do not tell her.
3: But did you say that to her? Like, you're right, Natalia, I did know better and I was going to tell you and I shouldn't have listened to them. That was a mistake.
4: I didn't say that she was right. I was, you know, arguing with my boyfriend at the time. It was an awful situation I was in. We had agreed to have a baby and then I got pregnant and he was telling me to get an abortion. My father was dying, was not in a good place at my job at the time. It was not at the top of my mind thinking about other people and
2: when I should be informing them of my pregnancy. I'm just thinking about the whole... Dynamic that was established very young with the two of you that you didn't know about. So, one of the things that makes this hard, I think, especially for you, is that you didn't ask her to protect you. You didn't ask her to do any of this. And she feels like, well, I did the right thing. I was the noble person here. Right. And when it came to the pregnancy, I think that this dynamic continued, this pattern of, We're adults now, and I've always protected you from mom and dad. And yet in this situation, you chose them over me. You didn't choose me. And I think that even in your letter, when you had that back and forth about the Christmas present, that she was upset that you hadn't asked about, there had been a bad storm where she was. She wasn't saying, you need to check the weather. I think she was saying, do you care about me? Mm -hmm. Now, you're not expected to check the weather in a location you're not in, but if you had her in mind and it was in the news, maybe you would have thought, huh, I wonder if Natalia's okay. We're just trying to help you to see that from her perspective, she feels like you don't have her in mind very much.
4: I think that's true, except I also feel like she's trained me not to care because when I do ask, how are you doing? She'll say fine. It's okay. So why would I keep going back to a well where it's just dismissal?
3: Do you follow up with her when she says that and say, but Natalia, I actually really care about you. And I really would like to know, and I know you're my big sister, but we're both big now. And I really am interested in what's going on with you. Yes, it's on her to open up. But I think you need to push a little bit more. And I also think that when she says, you know, I said earlier that she's thinking you should have chosen me and, you know, you did know better. And but you listen to mom and dad and you're like, well, but I was in a very difficult situation. That's your default response, which is accurate. It skips over the step of you do say that, well, but here's the situation I was in. But you can start by saying, I completely understand how you feel. I completely get that given your experiences, it must have felt like such a betrayal that you've been trying so hard and I actually get pregnant and you find out not from me, that must have been really hurtful. I am so sorry that that's how you found out. And then you can go and say your part. But the part about you're addressing her feelings, seeing them, as we said, it doesn't contradict you saying, here's my experience, but you skip over that. Yes, she's giving you all the signals on the one hand, don't go there. And on the other hand, she's giving all the signals of please go there.
4: Yeah, no, I I think both of those uh, reflections are quite accurate. It's so hard sometimes you get just caught up in like defense mode and it's so difficult to, you know, put a different hat on for the situation with my sister because I just, I feel like I'm being attacked and right. I immediately want her, like put up my shield and say no, but maybe I would get a different response from her if I did just more validate, be open. And as you said, Guy, not take the first
2: dismissal as, okay, she doesn't want to talk about it. You mentioned that you feel like you have to be in defense mode, that you're being attacked. And I think that if you hear it as blame, that's what's going to happen. I don't think that originally she was blaming you. I think it evolved into that. Now she's clearly blaming you. But I think part of the reason that she's so angry is because you keep telling her her reality isn't real. I was thinking about The fact that she doesn't feel appreciated for what she did. Again, you didn't ask her to do it, but she feels like she did do that for you. She flew out when you went through a breakup. She took on this parental role with you. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about what you wrote in your letter about how she succeeded so much academically and then she was up for tenure and she didn't get tenure and she never worked again. And I think that goes into that place in her of, I'm not appreciated. I did everything right and I didn't get tenure. I did everything right and I didn't get a baby. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: I did everything right and my sister doesn't appreciate me. And so I think at a certain point she just gave up. You said she lives in seclusion with her boyfriend and her dog. I do everything right and no one can see me. So I'm going to stay away from that pain. I'm going to keep it to emails. But I'm still trying to be heard because it's really meaningful to me to be heard. She hasn't given up on
3: that. Especially by you, Elise. Especially by you.
4: It's so interesting because I felt growing up, I was always told she was the prettier one, the smarter one, the more gifted one. Just had such a bright career ahead of her. I still see that you know, she's got the boyfriend. I don't have a boyfriend. <laughs> she's got friends. So there's there's things she does have in her life, but she's still like I guess, as you said, Lori, just very angry that a lot of things she didn't receive, and she feels like she didn't get recognized, and the things that she feels like she should have deserved.
3: But I really believe that even if she puts up so many hurdles that deep down, she wants that closeness with you. That's why she keeps writing. That's a lot of engagement for somebody who doesn't want to have a relationship.
2: I'm thinking a little bit about the way that you move through the world with a more rosy disposition, Mm -hmm. which has its strengths. But the other part of it is that you want to make sure that it doesn't veer into denial. And I'm thinking about how things ended with your dad. You felt Mm -hmm. very close with him, and you had a sense, and your mom even mentioned that he favored Natalia. And in the end, he chose her. He said, don't tell her and had devastating consequences because you didn't get to have the relationship that you wanted to have with him at the end of his life. That's right. And I imagine that that pain lives inside you. It's unresolved. It's this unfinished grief. That's quite true you know, he ended up calling me on the
4: phone in November after my sister found out and screaming at me and how could you not tell her? And I said, but you told me not to tell her that I was pregnant. And he said, well, you should have told her anyways, because now look at this mess that we're in. And he's like, don't call me. I don't want to see you for Thanksgiving. And I was calling him and trying to get in touch with him and sending him letters, but he wouldn't talk to me. My sister kept it from me that he was that sick. And I only found out when he was already at the hospital and in a coma. And I feel like, you know, with my sister saying, well, why couldn't you step up and be the executor? And I was like, I was in shock. I hadn't talked to my dad in four months. And our last conversation was him screaming at me. And now you want me to make decisions about property and whether or not to take him off life support. I couldn't believe that that was the last time I got to see my dad.
2: I don't think it was just shock. I think it was anger oh i was so angry at her how could you not tell me well not just her i think it was anger at your dad he in effect disowned you correct for inadvertently hurting your sister's feelings
3: by following his advice
2: yeah i mean it makes no sense to me you keep trying to make sense of it but i'm seeing the pain on your face and i think you live in the cognitive More than in the emotional, you're more head than heart when it comes to pain. That could be. And that has been your coping mechanism that served you well growing up. But I think now might be a good time in your life, not just in terms of your relationship with your sister, but in terms of your relationship with yourself, and even as a parent with your son, to be able to access more of your feelings and to use them in an intentional way. Oh, so when I told my sister that I was arguing with my boyfriend and that's why I couldn't step up, I could actually share with her, I was so hurt by dad because he disowned me and I was robbed of the experience of saying goodbye to him and he died angry with me. Because I followed an instruction he asked me to follow to protect you. At the time when this happened many years ago, you were not able to say to her, I'm devastated by what happened with dad. I can't step up right now because I am so angry that he did this to me. She didn't do it to you. He did it by choosing her over you. Yeah. And so there's all this kind of misplaced anger in the family. People are angry with different people instead of being angry with the people that maybe they should be angry with.
3: I think your dad was one of the few people, if not the only person, who did see your sister. He was around when you were growing up. And I think he did see what she did as the older sister, the sacrifices she made. Mm -hmm. And I think that was part of the closeness that they had, he was much more clued in to her feelings and her sensibilities than anyone else in the family, which is why that warning came out to you. And then when she hears and she's so devastated, he just feels so bad, he just lashes out in anger without really adjusting for the fact that that was his advice in the first place. But I think that's in part why they had that bond because he saw and no one else saw.
2: Mm -hmm. So when your dad died, he was watching out for her heart, and then he's gone, and then the three of you are left. What happened after your dad died in terms of your relationship with your mom? It was
4: strained for a while. We've never been really close. My mother is not a very like emotional person. She's much, much more in her head, and she's very analytical She lives close by, so I'm able to see her. I talk to her either through email or texting or on the phone, I would say every single day. So I guess from that perspective, we're close. Does she have a relationship with your child? (laughs) She's not the doting grandmother. She will sort of buy him a gift, but she's not one to take him to the park or offer to babysit. She sees him, I would say, every few months or so. Even though she lives close? Correct. What is that like for you? That's a great question. I wish she were different, but I've just sort of accepted this is the way she is. She's not going to be that sort of grandmother who attends the concerts and asks about how he's doing in school. Elise, this
2: this is the analytical part that you inherited from your mom. Okay. My question was not how do you make sense of it or how do you live with it, but... What does it feel like to you to know that she's close and you're a single mom, you have this beautiful child and she's not involved in his life?
4: It hurts. It's disappointed. I mean, she says she loves her grandson, but I don't see that in her actions or her words or her voice. And it hurts. And I guess I choose not to think about it because it is so deeply painful. And maybe what I've learned during this, talk with you all as I do to sort of dismiss my own painful feelings and don't dwell on them because it doesn't feel like it serves me. It
2: just makes me feel worse. And this is what drives Natalia crazy. I think you're right, Lori.
3: Because there's so many layers here. When you see your mom operating as a grandmother and she's not warm and she's not close and she's functional, it brings up, yep, that's what it was like growing up with her. As a mother. So it's not just that you're not reflecting on your experience as a mom to see how your mother's relationship with your son is like, but you're not even taking it to the next layer, which is, and let me reflect on my experience was like, because the same disappointment I have for my son, I probably experienced or didn't because I was distracting myself from it and not dealing with it. And again, that's the same tendency of, I'm going to just put that aside and just not think about it, because that's easier.
4: Right. Well, I'm trying to be a different parent myself. I purposely play with him, talk to him, communicate with him, validate his feelings, which surprises my mother. She's like, why are you taking him to all these places and doing all these things? I'm like, because that's what I think being a good mom is about, is building that, you know, that connection.
3: You say that to her? Yeah. Does she see this subtext or no?
4: I don't think so. I don't think she goes that deep. Mm. She's super smart intellectually, but just doesn't go into the, the feelings about people.
2: But again, this is sort of a cognitive explanation because that's what a good mom does. I'll bet that when you're taking your son to all these different things and you're connecting with him and you're listening to him and validating him, that that feels healing to you. It does. And it's enjoyable. You enjoy your role as his mother, but it also heals something because you're able to give something that you didn't get. Very true. And I wonder if you spend any time in those feelings of I'm grieving, but I'm healing. And when you're at the park with him or you're taking him to wherever you take him, that is enjoyable for him. Do you ever sit there and just think, what am I feeling right now? And maybe you want to spend a little more time there in the moment with him and get in touch with your feelings. That's a great suggestion. So I'm curious how this works with your mom and Natalia. They email, but they don't talk. Sometimes they talk on the phone. They have to arrange uh, phone
4: conversations. Uh, Natalia is also lashed out at my mother in a similar way over small things. She got upset. My mother said she would call her one morning, and because something else came up, and my sister got very upset with her and angry, and you don't care about me.
2: But that's the theme. That's Natalia's theme. She does not feel that anyone ever cared about her, except her boyfriend seems to,
3: or her dad, who's no longer here.
2: Yes. And even when she was grieving the loss of the one person who was there, she felt the burden of, and I have to handle everything again, just like my parents who were not in charge when I was growing up. I think that's true. Does your mother acknowledge what the atmosphere was really like in your house growing up? I don't think so. She says, you know, was it really that bad? We did our best. She does to you what you do to Natalia. Mm -hmm. And also your mother, as you said, was scary to you. That was the first word that you said when we asked at the beginning of the session, tell us about your mom. You said we were scared of her. So she doesn't acknowledge any of that. And she says we did our best the way you say to Natalia, mom and dad did their best. Mm -hmm. And it lands on you differently than it lands on Natalia. You have your own coping mechanisms that both served you and prevented you from truly feeling, which you'll probably want to work on a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And for Natalia, she dealt with it in overachieving and taking care of everybody else, but not really having her own needs recognized. She's very upset about that. She is. And I might suggest, Elise, that maybe you do too, but you don't let yourself go there. Because there have been times in our conversation today when your emotions are all over your face and and you're smiling now through that. Yeah. Yeah, partly in recognition, but partly because that's what you do. You smile when things get hard. Yeah, it's just so painful to think about and I don't like spending a lot of time in pain. But maybe getting more in touch with your feelings Will help you not be in such pain.
4: I pulled out some pictures from my photo album of my sister. Can I show you?
3: Sure. Yeah.
4: Happy kids, Easter egg hunting, a little bit older on the beach. What made you pull those photos out?
2: Because I wanted to show you, like, we were happy kids. At least you're doing with us what you do with Natalia. We don't doubt that you experienced happiness in your childhood, but we also see that you were able to compartmentalize and you're defending. You're saying, here's exhibit A. Let me show (laughs) you the pictures, judge. Here we are. We were happy. You see, look at us smiling in these pictures. That's what you do to Natalia. Yes, you were smiling in those pictures. And yes, all the other things we talked about in this session were also true, both and. And that is where we want to get you to to the
3: both end. All right. So, Elise, we have some advice for you. We would like you to write an email to your sister. We'd like you to say some version of you've been thinking about her a lot and you've been doing a lot of reflecting and you've come to realize more about how much of a sacrifice she made when you were growing up, how much she was looking out for you, and how much her protection and sacrifice allowed you to have a much better experience in childhood than she did. Not that it was great, but it was a better experience. And you're seeing that that cost her. And it's something you hadn't seen before and hadn't fully appreciated before, but you're, seeing it now, and you can also say, and I'm just now getting in touch with my own feelings, and it's been hard for me, and so I definitely know that I didn't do a great job of being there for yours, but I think I can do that better now. For example, I really should have listened to my instincts when I got pregnant, because you were the first person I should have called because I know what you went through in trying to get pregnant. You should have heard it from me. I'm so sorry I didn't tell you first. And you're right. I wasn't there for you when dad died. And I know how close and special your relationship was. So I can only imagine how big a loss that was for you.
2: And how much support you needed at that time.
3: And I realize in general that I had a big sister who was looking out for me when I was growing up. You didn't have that. You were all alone in a difficult situation. And I really hope that maybe you can give me another chance today to really listen and to be there for you in ways that I haven't been able to be before. You don't have to justify or explain anything.
2: No pictures. Right. (laughs)
4: Got it,
3: Laurie. <laughs> <laughs> and what you're asking her for is, I would love to be able to have better conversations going forward. I really want to hear more about how you feel and what your experiences are, even today. Okay. She might respond with another tirade of anger, like now you're writing this all these years, blah, 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 where she just kind of vomits out all the complaints. If she does that. Your response to that, because I think she's testing if she does that, she'll be testing you to see, really, you're listening or you're going to start explaining again and telling me that, no, I'm telling you I was miserable. And you're like, no, but our childhood was good for me. Like, that's the fear. So right. if she comes back with this full tirage, you have to just do another round of it. I understand that this is what this was like for you. And I can get how angry you are and how much you have felt disappointed and let down by me. Over the years, I get why you're so angry.
2: And I'm really glad you're telling me this because now I'm able to hear it and understand it differently. So don't worry about her tone. Don't worry about the kind of language she uses. At a certain point, you will. But right now, if she feels understood and heard, you're going to say, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for telling me this. Okay.
3: If she doesn't respond at all, then we think like once a week for a while, you should just text her and say, I was thinking about you and I just wanted to check in and see how you were.
2: And I would add to those texts, just a line of, I'm doing so much thinking about our childhood.
3: So she understands that things shifted because she has to understand why it's worth a while to try it again, because things shifted.
2: So validating her, show that I'm listening to her, don't talk about me. Well, you talk about you in the sense of I've been doing a lot of reflecting. I see that I wasn't really open to hearing your pain because I have trouble with my own pain. And that would be a great way to express it to her. Our mom was not very good at expressing emotion. She was very analytical. And I've adopted that way of being. And I realized that I have not been able to acknowledge your pain or mine even if they might be different. Okay. Okay. And this leads me to part two of the advice. There are three parts. Part two is, we didn't ask you about this in this session, but you did say in your letter that she calls you a bully. Mm -hmm. And we are just guessing that maybe what she means by that is that you both have the experience of the other person as shutting you down she spews all this venom at you and you feel like she's a bully. And she feels like you're trying to ram your version of childhood down her throat so aggressively that she experiences you as a bully. There is an aggressiveness to forcing someone to think the way that you think and deny their reality. And I think you do that as much for yourself as you do for Natalia. You are trying so hard to convince both of you that it was okay. Because that's been your coping mechanism that has in some ways worked to your advantage and in some ways not. So the ways that it has not has been you haven't really made room, not only for Natalia's feelings, but for your feelings. So when Natalia shares her pain with you, we'd like you to look for an aspect of your own pain in what she's saying. Yours might look different, but we've learned in this conversation that you do have some pain that it's Mm -hmm. very hard for you to sit in your pain because it feels so uncomfortable because that was how feelings were dealt with in your family. But we'd like you to get some practice with sitting with your feelings a little bit, acknowledging that they're there and not using that intellectual part of yourself to talk yourself out of those feelings. And partly as a parent yourself, so that you model something different for your child until you can get in touch with your own feelings. Okay. (laughs) Yes. And so as part of that, this is leading into task number three. We feel like you really haven't dealt with your feelings around your father, that he was this person that you could go to emotionally in the family, and yet he also favored your sister, and he also had a drinking problem, and he abandoned you when you inadvertently and on his advice ended up hurting your sister and you didn't get any kind of goodbye with him, any kind of repair with him. So we'd like you to write a letter to your father and really go into the feelings part where you express to him what you weren't able to express to him before he died. I loved you so much. Those times when we would talk about things when I was being bullied at school, when the girls were unkind to me, when you were there for me, meant the world to me. I couldn't do that with mom. I was scared of mom. And you were my sanctuary. And these are the feelings as you're crying right now that we're talking about. Dad, I loved you so much. You were so there for me when I was all alone. You have no idea what that meant to me. And then at the end, becoming a mom was so important to me. And instead of being able to celebrate that with me, you disowned me. You didn't tell me how sick you were. I didn't get to have any kind of repair with you. I never got to tell you this. We never got to talk about how much you meant to me and also how much you hurt me. And so I want to tell you this now, Dad. Okay. And I think that that will be a starting point for you to really get in touch with some of the feelings you had around the patterns in your family, the relationships in your family, and how they affect not just you and your sister today, but how they affect you in your own relationships today with your son, with a partner that it sounds like you hope to meet one day, and with yourself. Okay.
3: One last thing. We said we would like you, with your sister, to have several rounds. The letter, maybe there's a phone call or more emails, of really just absorbing and containing. If she's angry, if she's hurtful, that doesn't mean you do that forever. You do get to set limits at some point, and you do get to say to her, "I'm actually trying to make things better between us. I'd love for you to participate in that." Okay. See if you can kind of quote-unquote break her so that she really gets it and trusts, because it's a trust thing. And if she can, that's wonderful. If she can't at some point, you don't have to keep showing up for the beating. So keep in mind that there's at some point, if you're not seeing any movement, you get to say, you know what, I've really been trying here, but if you're just gonna keep being hurtful, it doesn't encourage me to keep trying, and I would like to.
2: Tell me how I hurt you without attacking me.
3: Yeah.
4: Okay. Oh, we'll try that. Thank you. Thank you both. Really appreciate it. I really appreciate your time and all your advice and helping me to see things from her perspective. I don't think I would have been able to
2: without hearing and talking with the both of you. And we're also helping you to see things from your perspective that you've been pushing down for many decades. Yes. <laughs> Very
4: true.
3: We'll be thinking about you. We really hope it goes well.
4: I so appreciate you. It was really wonderful to speak with both of you. I appreciate your
2: time very much. Thank you. I think this session was a good illustration of how sometimes somebody comes in and they want help with their issue, but we spend a lot of time helping them to see somebody else's perspective. And partly here, it wasn't so that we could focus so much on her sister, but it was to help Elise get in touch with the emotional side of her own experience of childhood and for Elise to really understand that she doesn't fully know the version of her own story of childhood yet. She's just at the very beginning of reflecting on that and understanding herself well.
3: You're absolutely right, especially when somebody comes in and says, there's somebody very important in my life who just sees everything so radically different than I do, and we fight about it all the time. And when you hear that, and you hear that they don't have insight into the other person's perspective, then it's actually really important to help them see the other person's perspective, because that's almost like opening a door that other things can happen, you can go through, but unless you can get that door open, there's no repair that can be done.
2: Yeah. And also I think it really highlighted for Elise getting some kind of understanding of the pain that happened at the end with her father, understanding it actually does feel bad when my mom can't have a relationship with my son because it reminds me of what I felt like as the daughter of this particular mom. And in being able to find the common ground with her sister. Yes, there, there were different points of pain, but we also lived in the same house and reacted in some way to the difficulties that were going on. And at least we can agree on that.
3: I'm really curious to see how this goes for her this week. Both, I'm curious to see how Natalia will respond. And I'm especially curious if she does respond, how Elise will manage that response and whether she can really stay with her feelings because they are difficult and she's not used to it.
2: Yeah, I thought it was really telling when at the end of the session, she brought those photos up for us to see, to say, look at our happy childhood, look at our great relationship. I felt in that moment what Natalia must feel when she's trying to say, let's look at the both and let's look at this other part of the experience too. But no, 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 here are the pictures. (laughs) So I'm really curious to see what happens this week.
3: You're listening to Dear Therapists. We'll be back after a short break.
0: Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.
1: Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe.
2: So Guy, we heard from Elise and I'm curious to see how things went with the assignments we gave her.
4: Dear Lori and Guy, thank you again for taking the time to listen to my story and offer me some advice and a bit of homework to try and help me. Your first assignment was to write an email to my sister and validate her experience and feelings. I did my best to come across as truly heartfelt, warm, conciliatory, and inviting future conversations with her. I've not heard back from her since I sent that email a few days ago. I do intend to follow up with weekly, friendly, short check-ins, as you both suggested, in case there continues to be no response from her. Your second task was to look more deeply into my own feelings and work on my ability to express them better. I realized from our talk that I do tend to focus on the good and dismiss the bad. In my life, I've done my best to quickly get rid of bad feelings like anger or sadness. After we chatted, I reflected and realized that I had talked about how great a sister she was and how little we fought. Well, I remember now some of the negative things between us, like how we were washing dishes one night, argued, and she threw a pot of water all over me. I remember a huge fight we had when I was in second grade, and I ended up in the emergency room with 14 stitches on my arm and a few on my face. And when she was angry with me, she'd lock me in the garage. Later on, when I was struggling and fighting with my ex and being a single mom, she told me I was probably not capable of being a good mother and that I should put my baby up for adoption. So you both seemed quite perceptive to this aspect of my personality that I tend to bury my pain and bad memories. I need to work on that. Your third and last assignment was the most painful, which was to write a letter to my dad expressing both my love for him, yet also how much he let me down and abandoned me. How he chose my sister over me, and how he refused to reach out to comfort me knowing how much pain I was in. This was the most painful part of your homework, and to be honest, I don't feel much better after writing it. It's been over 10 years since he died, and I'm so grieving and upset thinking about how his death unfolded. I do want to thank you both again for all your help and insights into my story. You both helped me reframe things, and though I can't repair what happened with my dad, Maybe there is some hope with my sister. I do miss her very much, and it would be great if we could be real sisters and involved in each other's lives again. Bye for now.
2: The first thing that struck me about Elisa's response is... I remember her showing us those pictures of her and her sister and saying, "Look, we had such a happy childhood. Look, we were so close. We had such a great relationship as sisters." And then to hear these stories that were not just painful, but they were extreme. Locking her away, throwing a pot of water on her, telling her that she should put her child up for adoption. This is a very different version of events, so I'm glad that Elise is starting to see that there's another side to this relationship because her mom had this sort of always be happy attitude that she has adopted this well and needs to be able to see the reality of the relationship as opposed to just the sunny version.
3: Yes, I was equally surprised because we were talking about this for quite a while. She had a lot of opportunity to have her memory jogged and to say, oh, you know what, I'm actually remembering one of the not great moments, but you're right. These are quite extreme landing in the hospital with 14 stitches to the arm, to the face. And had we heard this information, it might've shifted our perspective, both of the sister and certainly of the relationship and certainly of the extent to which Elise is good at ignoring the bad and focusing on the good. And our advice might've been different had we known that.
2: I agree. I think we were wanting at least to explore how much flexibility Natalia had when she felt validated and heard. But now we're getting a different version of Natalia. And I'm not sure how much capacity Natalia has for this kind of reciprocal conversation, given how extreme her behavior has been even as a child. So I think we might have given a different assignment in terms of what to do going forward with Natalia.
3: And I think it also explains a little bit the dad's actions. Because if Natalia from the beginning had really big feelings about things, and Elise didn't seem to have as big feelings because she was so good at the denial, then the dad might have been in the mode of having to soothe the child that's more emotionally volatile. And then right at the end of his life, when he was so angry with Elise for actually just following the advice he gave her, don't tell your sister you're pregnant, Maybe that was out of concern for the sister because she's more fragile. And he was used to just protecting the older sister because she was more overt in her feelings than Elise. it was much harder to see when Elise was hurting. And he might have just replicated that same dynamic of let's tend to the squeakier wheel.
2: he might have truly been frightened given Natalia's behavior of what she might do right. if she felt so much pain around her not being able to get pregnant. And then her sister is, and Natalia seems like she can be extremely reactive in unpredictable ways. And he might've been concerned about, would she harm herself? What would she do to others? So going to that last assignment where Elise was saying writing the letter was really hard for her, and it didn't give her much relief. I think this is the first step, is that you need to be able to get those feelings out, as painful as they are, and get clear about, this is what I wish my dad had known. This is what I wish that I could have told him. And maybe understanding a little bit more about why he did what he did, not to excuse what he did or not to take away the pain of what he did, but to understand a little bit more about the pickle that he was in and the pickle that we were all in in the family.
3: And I think it's very possible that because she wrote this letter and she's thinking about these things that much like happened with Natalia, more memories of her relationship with her father might start to come back to her. That makes the relationship with her dad much more mixed and ambivalent than she had presented to us based on the memory she had. So it's possible that that's one of the reasons she didn't feel relief because it's a much more complicated relationship with her dad than she had described as, no, everything was great with us. Just this thing happened out of the blue.
2: I think because he was the more available parent, that she idealized her relationship with her father because we do that as children. When there's somebody that at least gives you something, then we idealize that parent as the good parent, the parent who saw me. And in some ways, I'm sure he did, but there were probably many ways that he didn't, especially because he was drinking. So I think being able to acknowledge, as you said, the complexity of the relationship might be really helpful for her instead of the idealized relationship that seems to have crashed all of a sudden at the end of his life, maybe that complexity was there the whole time and now she's just finally seeing it.
3: And so maybe this is an opportunity for her to re-examine all the relationships she has in her life and really try and look at all of them more accurately. I would strongly suggest she do that with the help of a therapist.
2: Where this might lead for her is to a process of grieving in a way that will help her to move forward instead of staying stuck in these ideas about her childhood that she's been holding on to. Maybe she won't have the kind of relationship with her sister that she wants. Her sister just might not be capable of that. And there's some grieving there. Her mother, she's seen as a grandmother, she's just not capable of it. And the father, we saw what he was capable of or not capable of at the end of his life. So I think there's a lot of grieving to be done so that she can move forward and find more satisfying relationships now in her present life, whether that's a romantic relationship, platonic relationships, having the kind of relationship with her son that she wants to have. I think that that is the path forward for her, finding the kinds of relationships that she didn't have, but she's going to need to really do some grieving in order to move forward and make space for those new relationships that are healthier and more satisfying.
3: I really hope she does this work. She's, I think, capable of having a much more satisfying and emotionally connected life than she's had so far.
2: Absolutely. Next week... A woman who feels rejected by her husband wonders if there's any hope for their marriage. I'd given him an ultimatum
5: where I said, let's focus on our relationship intensively. If things don't go in the right direction, we're gonna have to figure out the next step. He told me that I was threatening divorce
2: and then he said, I'm done. If you're enjoying our podcast, Don't forget to subscribe for free so you don't miss any episodes. And please help support Dear Therapist by telling your friends about it and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews really help people to find the
3: show. If you have a dilemma you'd like to discuss with us, email us at laurieandguy at iheartmedia.com. Our executive producer is Noel Brown. We're produced and edited by Josh Fisher. Additional editing support by Zachary Fisher and Katie Matty. Our intern is Alana Doherty. And special thanks to our podcast fairy godmother, Katie Couric. We can't wait to see you at our next session. Dear Therapists is a production of iHeartRadio.
2: Fish food. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you